Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> and we're talking to you this morning about the first and the greatest commandment. As you see our banners that we have up here, there is none other name. And then, of course, on the other side, they shall call his name Jesus. Praise God. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6, 4, and this is called the Great Commandment. This is also found in the book of Matthew, and we'll turn there to Matthew 22 after we read this first one. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is two lords. The Lord our God is three lords. The Lord our God is a lord. You know, He's one Lord. He is a Lord, but He's one Lord. Contrary to what Jimmy Swaggart says, the Bible teaches only one Lord. If you've been listening to him on television, you'll find out that he proclaims that the Bible says there are two Lords. The Bible never says that. Okay? So if you hear this national television preacher say that, keep in mind that he's wrong. The Bible's always right. Okay? Just thought I'd clear that up. <clears throat> thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Praise God. Now let's go to Deuteronomy. Uh, let's go to Matthew, the twenty-second chapter. Now I'm not saying what I said just to be ugly, but you see the truth of the matter is a lot of people have a tendency. To accept everything they read, and especially on the level in which they hear it, they have a tendency to believe it. And there are a lot of people that are calling me and talking to me and becoming very, very confused about this particular subject. And like I say, it's not that I want to be ugly or anything like that. It's just that what he's saying is absolutely contradictory to what the Bible says. Okay, Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to the first, or the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang or hinge all the law and the prophets. Praise God. And you may be seated. And what we're going to talk to you about this morning is priorities, like for Sister Sharon, if she would, to come. In our stewardship classes, we talk to you about priorities. If you'll show just the, the first one there, the key words in organizing your life, that's right. You can just cover the other two up. Let's show them the other two first, and then we'll cover them up. Okay, Sister Sharon? Just turn it on as it is. In our, in our stewardship classes, we talk to you about organizing your life. The key words in organizing your life, the first is priorities. Number two is goals. Number three is planning. Now, the reason why that I think this is so important is because you must figure out if, if you're organizing your life, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's on a religious level or not, if you were a person uh, who didn't care anything about God, if you were a person who didn't even believe in God, if you're going to organize your life, you first got to figure out your priorities. If you don't, you see there's no particular course of action that you can take, so you're, you're confused all the time. You know, one day you want to be a lawyer, the next day you want to be a dentist. See, if you're going to school, you have to do this. It doesn't make any... But if you're a Christian, 
The same is true. You must figure out, number one, what your priorities are. Now, the reason why that Israel was called a peculiar people indeed was because their response to their God was totally different from the Gentiles' response to their God. Now, the Gentiles did some strange things when it came to idol worship. But if you know anything about the practice of the worship of idols, one day you're kind of hot on the idea, and the next day you're kind of cold on the idea. In other words, there's no real dominating force. But Israel was a peculiar people indeed because of their particular response to their God. They believed that he was one. Not only did they believe that he was one, but they believed that he was supreme and superior. And so their God was number one in their life. And this is the reason why that they acted the way they acted. Now, probably some of you who sit here as guests today, you have probably wondered uh, why that the people here clap their hands and they're so excited about going to church. I can assure you whether you believe in what we're doing or not, if you visited every church in this city, you'd have to come to this conclusion that these people right here that sit near you are more excited about their God than any other church that you've ever been in. See? Whether you agree with what we're doing or not, you, you'll come to that conclusion that these people are more excited, uh, excited about their God and about their church than any other place that you'd ever attend. Now, is it supposed to be that way? There is no place in the Scripture that even gives the slightest hint that God can just be mediocre in your life. If you can find any place in the Scripture where God Himself says that He can just be mediocre in your life, I'd like for you to show me that Scripture. It's not there. God demands that he is either number one or he is number nothing. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to Joshua, the 24th chapter, and just leave this up here just for a minute, if you would, Sister Swartz. Joshua 24, verse 13 through 15. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor. And cities which you did not build. Or which you build not, pardon me. And ye dwell in them. All the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord. Now the word fear the Lord here means reverence Him, respect Him. And serve him in sincerity. Are you sincere about serving God? Are you sincere about church attendance? Are you sincere about your dedication to him? You should be. Now the reason why that I'm putting it this way is because, well, number one, the Bible teaches it, but I'm also aware by natural circumstances that there will be a time in every man's life in which he will place God as his prime priority. In other words, there will come a time when you will need God. And not only will you need God, but you're going to need the church. Now in our stewardship classes, we teach the priorities. Number one is God. Number two is the family of God. Number three is the work of God. Now there's going to come a time when you need God. I mean, every last soul that hears me today, will need God. And when you really need Him, you'll put Him first. My mind right now, as we pause in the reading of the Scripture, goes to a gentleman who was, I guess, uh, in his uh, early 70s, who I felt the Lord had given me a definite burden for. And I went to his house and began to talk to him about the Lord. And while I talked to him about the Lord... Uh, tears came to his eyes and he told me, he said, well, he said, I don't really think at this point that I'm really ready to serve the Lord. You know, I just don't think I'm ready to serve the Lord. But he said, one of these days I intend to come to your church. Well, I told him that uh, 
you know, he was not getting any younger and he'd put off making peace with God and uh, for a long time. And, of course, he assured me that, uh, uh, you know, he was healthy and strong and uh, and he was for his age, very healthy, uh, bright, young-looking gentleman, you know, for his age. Now, that was on Saturday. I asked him, I said, uh, he did not have transportation. He was a gentleman who depended on uh, bus transportation to go to church. And I asked him, I said, uh, Mr. Rapage, I said, I'd like for you, if you would, to, to allow me to come by and pick you up and come to church with me tomorrow. Would you do that? Would you accept this invitation? And he thought about it just for a moment. He says, uh, no, guess not. And when he said no, you know, there was such a feeling of, of uh, sorrow and fear also that came upon me. You know, here's a man who's putting off making peace with God. Here's a man who's putting off coming to church and giving his heart to the Lord. Not that you have to give your heart to the Lord in church, but I'll assure you regardless of where you give your heart to the Lord, you'll end up coming to church. That is, if you do it right. Because you see, the church is not a dirty word. It happens to be God's idea. And if you fully cooperate with God, you'll cooperate with his ideas. Well, at any rate, uh, I asked him the second time, and he says, no, nope. And uh, so I left. Uh, that was on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Sunday morning, I went on to church. Sunday afternoon, this man had a massive heart attack. Now, he was rushed to the hospital. And, of course, the family came and told me. Some of the members of the family were in our church. And they came and told me, said, uh, uh, Mr. Rapage is in the hospital. Massive heart attack. And I said, well, how's he doing? They said, well, he is in a coma. And he said, his wife would like for you to come over and pray for him. Well, that, I wanted to go pray for him, but I could remember what he told me about, nope, I will not come to church. And he said, I intend to make peace with the Lord. Well, I went to the hospital and I prayed for him. The next day in the middle of the night, the nurses called me and asked me, said, Pastor Grant, would you mind coming over? And uh, seeing Mr. Rappage, he said, he uh, <clears throat> is not responding at all except this, that he keeps calling your name. And he wants you to come. I, I think that maybe if you'd come, sometimes people who seemingly are incoherent and uh, they seem to not be with it, that they can actually hear and they know what you're saying. And perhaps if you could just come and Maybe build up his willpower to pull through this. So I went over there and he was calling my name. And it was something to be able to go into that room and lay hands on this man, pray for him, and hear him call your name. And yet there's no response at all. Now, what happened was that he, he did come to uh, himself only a short period of time. And uh, he told the family at that time, he said, uh, I want Brother Grant to come and pray for me. So when I got there, he was in a coma again. They took him to a nearby city and, and uh, put a pacemaker in his chest, but uh, he died before I really ever got to talk with him at all. And I asked the family if he'd, uh, if he'd uh, prayed or uh, he was so weak. They said no. said, uh, to our knowledge, uh, he didn't. Now... <clears throat> You see, there comes a time in a man's life when he feels he doesn't need the Lord. And then there are other times when he feels that he does. And this is the reason why that I want to talk to you about priorities. Because whether you feel that you need God or whether you feel you don't, you really do. Now, <clears throat> this is what Joshua said. Now, therefore, verse 14 of chapter 24... Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, or the word evil here means unfair. If it seems unfair to you 
to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, this is Joshua speaking, we will serve the Lord. Now, a couple of things that I want to call your attention to. One is this, if it seem evil. Now, notice as I stated, evil here means unfair. Does it seem unfair to serve the Lord? Well, I see some people feel that it is unfair. They think that, you know, they have their own life, my own lifestyle. I've got my, my own way of doing things. I, I just think that it's unfair for any church or, or any institution to, uh, uh, you know, to get up and tell me what I can do and what I cannot do. Now, please understand that by the help of the Lord, I try to structure religion for the people here at Calvary Gospel Church. Now, if you feel that's unfair, then I think you need to read the Bible because the Bible definitely tells us that that uh, the the ministries for the perfecting or the structuring, you know, of of uh, things for the church for the perfecting of the of the saints. That is my responsibility. I am only trying, uh, through God's help, to carry out my responsibility to the people as the Lord has directed me to do. But now, in our particular uh, society, where uh, there are so many uh, different uh, feelings and so many different ideas relative to uh, service of the Lord, some people just feel this is unfair. You can read uh, editorials in the paper and such, and uh, people are feeling it's unfair. To give you an example, I was recently in a board meeting up in, in Nina, and uh, there was a man who walked in the boardroom, and uh, he said, uh, he looked around and said, I don't recognize anybody. He says, is this the Wisconsin Bar Association? Now, of course, that's dealing with uh, attorneys. Uh, the state bar regulates uh, and rules relative to, to, to uh, attorneys. And so he said, no, this is not uh, the Bar Association. And so I said, we're a group of ministers. We represent the uh, Wisconsin District of the United Pentecostal Church. So he said, well, thank you, and he left. Then he came back. He said, oh, uh, you're ministers. I, uh, now, this amazes me. He said, right now I'm representing a lady, uh, I say a lady, a family, rather, who, uh, whose mother, the mother of the family, moved down to Chicago. And when she moved down to Chicago, she got involved in this cult. And, of course, then she started teaching about the cult, uh, or telling about the cult. He did. He said, now, this cult uh, in Chicago, they demanded this lady to spend 8, 10, 12 hours, you know, in, in the church building, or the what they call a church building. Uh, because the leader of the group says that he found in the Bible that God was supposed to be number one. Well, he said, now, he said, I disagree with that, and told us why. He said, a man's family ought to be number one. So he got to, well, now, first place, you know, any one of my advice, you know, well, how do you pe people feel about this? Well, <clears throat> number one, uh, I think the Bible does teach that God is supreme, and I believe that God is number one. However, on the other hand, I do not believe that putting God as your top priority in any way hurts your relationship with your family. In fact, according to Paul's letter in Ephesians 5, putting God first gives you a better relationship with your family than, than ever before. It does not take away from your family. It adds to your family. And naturally, we don't require nor expect people to sit 8, 10, 12 hours every day, seven days a week in a church. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches that the New Testament saints went out into the highways and the hedges and the various places and from door to door, they shared their faith with people. So... I could really say that to, to this attorney that I think maybe 
what you're saying here is that that it's unfair for this lady to spend so much time. I believe you're right. But on the other hand, I also believe the Bible teaches that God is number one and should be supreme. And it will not hurt your relationship with your wife. In fact, uh, it'll make you a better husband. And, it, and to the women, it'll make you a better wife. And then, of course, uh, if you're here and your parents are still alive, it'll make you a better child. And if you're a parent, it'll give you more love for your children when you put God as number one. But you see, because that there are a lot of cults and various uh, things uh, of this nature in our world, some people feel, well, it's just so unfair for the, you know, anybody be telling me what to do and so forth and so on. I just don't buy this idea that, that, that somebody ought to be so excited about the Lord. You know, this is the way a lot of people feel. But there will come a time in which you will need God. And when you need God, I mean when you're desperate and you need God, I will assure you that you will be most fanatical in your relationship and your response to the Lord when you're trying to find Him. I will assure you that you will. All you need to do is just get into real deep trouble for a while. And you'll find out that when you pray, you pray with fervency. Uh, get in the hospital. Get right down on the bed. Get uh, cancer in your body or something. And you don't have a proper relationship with the Lord. You'll find out that, that God automatically right then becomes number one. Let me tell you something. I've been to many hospital rooms where people were not noted for their uh, service to the Lord. And they did not claim to be Christians. And I can assure you. That, that some of the most fanatical people toward God that I've ever seen in my life were people who have little or no relationship or knowledge of the Lord. It's just that all of a sudden the doctor comes in and says, you have a condition in your body that uh, is going to be very difficult for us to cope with. We tested the tumor, it's malignant, and uh, your uh, chances you know, of being cured are very nil. However, uh, we can help you for a while. Well, then this person gets to thinking about, well, I, all I have to do is serve God now for a couple of months. And it's all going to be over, so I'm going to give it my all. And they usually do. It, you'd be surprised when you know that you're going to meet the Lord, how it changes your attitude toward the Lord. It really does. You, you would be surprised at the things that I have been told by people who were very, very sick. I have actually been told by people, if I ever get out of this bed, I will not cease to preach the gospel to the world. I've been told by others, Pastor, I have uh, quite a bit of money, uh, money in savings. When I get well, if God heals me, I'm going to give it all to Him. Every bit of it. I've been told by others, uh, uh, I have not raised my family right. And I regret that. And while I've fought against the truth, now I realize how important it is. And when I get out of this hospital room, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to erect a family altar and bring all my kids together. Isn't it strange how that, you know, when you're faced with something like that where you really need God, you think it's nothing but right. You don't consider it to be evil or unfair. You know, and you'd be surprised. I, I have been in hospitals where the whole whole wing knew that this person had given his heart to the Lord. You know. It really does change, you know. It really does change. Now, you see the sad part, however, is that when I look at in history, especially Bible history, I can find that some people really need God, and because that when they could have accepted God, and when they could have given their heart to God, they didn't do it. So when they really needed God, they didn't realize they needed God. Because you see, all of us will not leave this world by sickness. Now we're all going to die one of these days. And if you think you're going to live a long time, all you have to do is look around you. The Gettysburg Address. And do you know who gave us the Gettysburg Address? Abraham Lincoln. Is he here? No, he's not here. 
Look at the Declaration of Independence. You know who's largely responsible for writing of it? Thomas Jefferson. Where is he? He's in his grave. Look at the Mayflower Compact. Uh, you know who was responsible for giving us this? The pilgrims who sailed over. But they're all gone. See? And we could go on and on and on. And uh, <clears throat> I think that nature itself just tells us, outside of the word of the Lord, that, that so far nobody's been able to break that law. You're born in this world, and you're going to leave this world. It's appointed unto man once to die. Once to die, and after death, the judgment. You have an appointment with God, and if you think that you can, if you think that somehow that you can ignore that appointment, you're going to make it. Now, every now and then, I, for some reason, as much as I try to organize my life and try to keep things, you know, uh, uh, proper, I will miss an appointment. Every now and then, I'll write something down, and I fail to look where I wrote it, or perhaps. Uh, I'll take a telephone call and I don't have a pen handy and I'll say, well, as soon as I hang up, well, I'll write this down. So I hang up and then somebody walks in, asks me a question, I start talking, telephone rings again. After a while, somebody calls me and said, uh, Brother Grant, didn't we have this appointment? And I said, what appointment? And, and you feel about this high, you know, you feel, well, this is crazy. Now, how did I forget that? And you make the person who you have the appointment with feel unimportant. And sometimes you feel that appointments, you know, are optional. And I suppose largely they are. But I can assure you that you will have an appointment with God. And when your, when your time for that appointment comes, you will meet Him. And you will go out from this world to meet the Lord. And I know that a lot of people say, Well, I don't even believe any of that garbage about God. Well, that's your trouble. I will assure you, whether you believe it or not, it does not alter the fact that there is a God and that you will meet Him one day. It does not alter the fact. Now, <clears throat> see, you may not get sick, and you may never reach the point where you realize that you need God, but you see, you need God anyway. See, Joshua was saying that God's going to be my first choice, not my last resort. In other words, we're going to, right now, we will make up our minds, Joshua and his household, well, Israel said, we will serve the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, they did forget God. All the days of Joshua, you know, he did remember the Lord. And he remembered, uh, see, he remembered what God had done. But, I'm sorry to say, but some of the Israelites didn't remember that. Now, Joshua, he points out two things. He said, now, whether you think it's fair not to serve God, you're going to need God. That's what he's saying. And then, of course, he said, now I want you to remember your fathers which were before the flood. Now, if you turn back with me <clears throat> to the book of Genesis, and that would be, I suppose, in, what, the sixth chapter. You want to just turn it off for now, then, Sister Sharon. Genesis, the sixth chapter, we'll talk about the flood. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now that just simply means that there was a marrying, intermarriage of, of Christians and non-Christians. Now I can't understand why a, a Christian boy would want to date a non-Christian girl. And I can't understand why a Christian girl would want to date a non-Christian boy. Now, I can't see that. Because, you know, Jesus said, and of course he quotes from the law, that you should not be unequally yoked together. See, a husband and wife becomes one. Uh, in the Bible, when Adam was uh, uh, asleep and God took from his rib, or from his side a rib, and made a woman. The Bible says that the Lord brought the woman to him and, uh, and said, this is a woman because she's come out of Adam. A helpmeet. Now, a helpmeet simply means a part of or an extension of. A woman is a part of. She came out of. 
She's an extension of. So helpmeet does not mean slave. See? And uh, what happens sometimes, because, because the Bible teaches a structure that the man is the house, head of the household, it, some men think that that means that a woman should be a slave. See? Now, that's not it. You see, and Paul in Ephesians 5 speaks of the beautiful relationship between husband and wife. And he says, now if you will consider the relationship of Christ and the church, that's the way it ought to be. Does God make slaves out of us? No, he said, I call you friends. Your wife should be your loving companion. She should be your closest friend. Now, seeing then that they are to work together as one unit, I can understand then why a Christian, knowing this type of relationship, would want to choose a non-Christian for a companion. Light hath no fellowship with darkness, and that's included in that very same commandment, that you shall not be unequally yoked together. In other words, there is strife there, there's a pulling apart there. It all boils down to this, as we showed you up here. The priorities are not the same. And a house divided against itself can not stand. How can two walk together if they do not agree? See? Now that's what the Bible teaches. But you see, what happened here in the days before the flood, they reached this this uh, uh, time in their life when they thought, well, this is not important, see? You know, what we do and how we respond to God's not so important. Does that sound like our day? Well, it ought to because the Bible says, as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be, pardon me, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Before Jesus Christ gets back to this earth, the Bible says, just as it were in the days of Noah. That's the way it's going to be today. And that's the reason why that you can see in our present world so many people that say, well, it doesn't make any difference, you know. You know, you can just belong to any church. One lady even said she had a vision, and she said, when I had this vision, I saw heaven, and I saw all of these different doors going into heaven. And uh, she said, uh, uh, there was a door there for the Pentecostals, and there was a door there for this, and a door there for that, and all around, just all of these doors, and everybody had their door, and everybody goes into heaven. Well, uh, in as much as that uh, she had this vision, and she thought it was from the Lord, uh, I think that she should have checked it out in the Scripture. You know, because, uh, you know, the Bible says that there's uh, <clears throat> one door to heaven. See, even though the holy city itself uh, does have uh, doors on all four sides, there's no question about it. To get to there, you've got to come through one door, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, just because that, that your religion... Or just because that your religious structure teaches that there is a God and there is Jesus does not really mean that uh, that it is right. See, it's not everybody that saith, Lord, Lord, that's going to enter therein. See? The Bible teaches that. Now, what happened was that, that there was just this kind of, uh, this spirit of apathy that just kind of came over the people. Well, it doesn't make any difference, I mean... Who cares, you know, this is a good-looking woman, and this is a good-looking man, and we're compatible to the point that that uh, everything will work out all right, so they married. When they develop this attitude of apathy, uh, don't care, it doesn't make any difference, you will find then it began to make its way into the generations to follow to such a degree that the whole world turned their back on God. Now, you can say what you want to, but we are one generation from total godlessness in America if somehow revival doesn't come. Look at the educators. I'll guarantee you that you can go over to the University of Wisconsin and you can't find a handful of them over there that even believe there is a God. And if they do believe there is a God... They have some very distorted ideas and views about God. Now, if these people are to stand up and teach our young people how they ought to live and what they ought to believe in and such, 
And that's exactly what education is. Education is more than academics. It's a transfer of life from the living to the living. And you just can't stand up and give people academics. You transfer your attitude. You transfer yourself to them. Then what happens? Then, of course, you go through school and such, and, 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 and your, your mind's all mixed up and it's confused. Well, yes, there, maybe there is a God, but, but, you know, I don't really know about this, you know, and so forth and so on. Until after a while, you see the whole world then is in gross darkness. Now, please understand that I am not a pessimist. I feel very, very positive over the fact that when Jesus Christ comes, there will be a church ready. I believe, however, that God will shorten his day for the very elect's sake. Because the Bible says that he will. And I believe that God's going to look down and he's, he's, going to, he's going to give enough people grace to preach the gospel into all the world. But it is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. That when the Lord comes back, there's going to be only two sides. One right and one wrong. You know, there was a time in the days of the religious structure in which you will find that uh, uh, there were just a lot of people who were good people and so forth. You'll find that that is uh, that's changing. It really is changing. That it's becoming more apparent that if you're going to make a stand, you've got to make a stand. And when you make a stand, you're going to be misunderstood. And, and on the other hand, the people who do not believe in God, they're very adamant about it. They're, they're, they're very strong in it. They just don't believe. That's the way it was in the days of Noah. Now, look what happened. <clears throat> and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. What does the word strive mean? you have any idea? Continue. It also means to struggle or deal with. And did you know that's exactly what God is doing right now? He is dealing with men. When we say dealing with men, that just simply means that God goes out and tries his best to compel them to come to him. You see, God is a merciful God. He doesn't. He gets no glory in anybody being lost. The Bible says, you know, concerning the last days, that God is not willing that any should perish. Now he says, as it were in the days of Noah, that the long-suffering of God was with man, not willing that any should perish. God kept dealing with these people. He kept striving with them. You see, Jesus said, No man cometh to me except my Father draweth him. And when he said, My Father, he's talking about the Spirit of God must draw him to me. You just can't, while you're wrapped up in a world of sin and a world of iniquity, you just can't change your mind and just come and give your heart to God. God's got to deal with you. He's got, to, he's got to enlighten your mind. He's got to give you a revelation of your need. And the deeper you go into sin, the dimmer the light gets. Now, if you know anything about light, you know the spectrum, which is visible light, is made up of how many different colors? Seven different colors. On one side you have violet on the other side you have red. Now you know all about that. But you know, there is light that's not visible to man. For on each side of the light band, there is light that's not visible to us. On one side of the light band, on the violent side, you have ultraviolet light. On the other side, you have infrared light. Now we can't see it, but it's there. This is the reason why that because of some skin diseases and such that are treated with light, that they tell you only stay underneath the lamp ten minutes, no more. And while it just looks like regular light and, and it doesn't appear to be hot, it is. See, there, there are many forms of light. X-ray is a form of light. Television waves are a form of light. Radio waves are forms of light. Radar waves are forms of light. Now, you can't just walk out here and see a radio wave. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Now, in the animal world, you'll find that 
the nocturnal animals who roam at night, they can see at night just as good as you can at day. Why? Because you see, they can adjust their eyes just as if we were to turn out the lights here. In this building, you would find that after you turn out the lights and you would find that uh, you stay in here for a little while and your eyes readjust and you can actually pick up light in this building that you couldn't see when the light was first turned out. Why? Because you're focusing in, your eyes focus in, focuses in, and you're trying to pick up those. It's an involuntary process, it just happens that way. And you're trying to pick up the light. But you see, the animals who roam at night, that roam at night, well, when they come out of their den at night, they pick up uh, ultraviolet or infrared light, rather, and their eyes can focus in. They're made that way. It's like the dog whistles that you blow. You can't hear those things. But dogs can hear them and respond up to a quarter of a mile away. And you can't even hear it. And you see what happens when God's Spirit begins to deal with you. And you begin to push God back. And you begin to push Him back. You, be, you readjust yourself to where you can't hear God. And you don't realize that you need God. And this is where we are in our world today. People say, there is no God. There's no visible evidence of God. Why? Because they have readjusted themselves away from God and away from God's Spirit. They have been desensitized. So they need God and they don't even know they need God. And that's exactly what Joshua was saying. Look at our fathers that were before the flood. They didn't even know that they needed God. Noah was out there building on that ark and God gave him the plan. And here's this great big boat. You know what they were doing? They thought he was crazy. I can't believe that anybody could be such a fanatic. He's got this huge boat, 450 feet long, 150 feet wide. This is crazy. He says it's going to rain. What's rain, Noah? Well, drops of water are going to come out of the sky. <laughs> Never in my life have I heard such a ridiculous thing. But you see, Noah had his priorities right. How come Noah could see God when nobody else could see God? How come Noah could feel God when nobody else could feel God? How come Noah could hear from God when nobody else could hear from God? How come, my friend? Because you see, his priorities were right. See, he focused in on the light that nobody else could focus in on. He saw things that nobody else could see. He heard things that nobody else could hear. Praise God. You see, there is a light that comes to a Christian that comes inside of you. It's not visible to the world. If you go take x-rays of your, of your bone structure, what happens? Light penetrates the skin and gets right down inside. Does it not? And so the light rays are actually trapped inside of your, of your bones and, and, your, and your flesh for a while. This is the reason why that, that doctors do not like to give any more x-rays than, than, than needed because those light rays are trapped right inside of you. And those light rays can actually damage your cell structure. So they will limit the number of x-rays. Now you see, now that's light. You can't see it, but it's light. When the Bible says that the all-seeing eye of God searcheth the earth, you see, God can see inside of you. He can look right inside of your brain. He can look right through this wall. You may say, that's impossible. Well, x-rays can do it. Why can't God do it? I mean, you're crazy if you think that God can't do it when you think some man-made mechanical device can do it. The laser's a form of light. We say God can't even heal. And yet doctors say, oh, we ran this, this little tiny tube right down this individual. We started right here on his leg and ran it up, and we burned out the fatty tissue of his arteries. And he didn't have to have open-heart surgery. 
That's a form of light that's doing that. And then people say, God can heal when His light can reach right inside, any place inside of you, and burn out anything in there, and doesn't even leave a scar. You see, God can do that. But people say, I don't believe it because I can't see it. And yet we have created mechanical devices to trap the light and focus the light and do all these things. And yet we say, huh, not God. You see, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder of spirit and in soul. The Bible also says that God is able to go down to the joints and the maw and is a designer of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Why? Because God can see what you can't see. Praise God. And sometimes we think just because, we, you know, uh, well, I don't know, you know, they, they talk about this God. I, I can't see God with my eyes. They, 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 they talk about this God that you can feel. And I can't feel God. Christians go around all the time saying, the Lord spoke to me. How come He never speaks to me? He's speaking as loud as He can. But you see, you desensitize yourself. You can't hear Him and you can't feel Him. But it's not God's fault. Because God was striving with the men of the world. I want to save you. I want to save you. I don't want you to be lost. And He was pulling them and pulling them and wooing them. And He waited and He waited and He waited and He waited and waited. And all they could think about is that fool out there building that great big old boat on top of that hill. He says it's going to float away. Drops of rain started falling from the heavens. Which the water built up so big, so great, that it lifted the ark. And there was a time which the ark sailed away. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight souls. The ark was laden down with a pair of all the beasts of the field, and seven of the unclean or the clean beasts, and it sailed away. Now <clears throat> As I stated before, you see, when your priorities are right, <clears throat> you can begin to see things and feel things and respond like you never responded before. Now, <clears throat> let me just give you an example. This, I'll step on a few toes right here. Real heavy. So why don't you just double your feet back underneath the pew while I say this. Now, <clears throat> see, fishing season's coming up. It's real easy for men... If you like to fish like I like to fish, to change your priorities. See, when, when things become an obsession to you, that denotes a change of priorities. Isn't that right? Now, you see, you can you can get your priorities all goofed up any time. Some people, they like to, uh, all of a sudden they get this uh, business of dieting. Well, I don't think that people ought to, just become obese and all out of uh, proportion and such, so it's all right to diet. Okay. But some people can just go down to the gym and they start working out. It becomes an obsession with them and, and to the point that that, that uh, you can't even talk to them without them talking about health foods and lifting weights and this type of thing. Okay. Then uh, people who are outdoorsmen, they like to go fishing. So after a while, it's uh, God's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever. Sometimes their family's way down on the, the line. In other words... This becomes an obsession to them. And so when trout season opens, it's uh, fishing on Saturday, fishing on Sunday, fishing on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday again. Boy, I like to fish. But I've got enough sense to know that a fish can't save me. <clears throat> See, you understand what I'm saying? Summertime, it's picnicking, camping, softball, and it becomes an obsession. And uh, <clears throat> family secondary. This is what happens to an alcoholic. You see, uh, there are certain things that become paramount. Family secondary. God, you know, is way down the line. They're obsessed with this idea. The flesh is craving it. You know, there's no question. The flesh craves some of these things. Fall comes. It's hunting season now. Forget Sunday. Forget Sunday night service. Forget Thursday night service. <clears throat> I've got to go after my buck. Now, isn't that crazy? 
that a person would change their priorities to the point that they would actually go out and hunt and forget about God? Now you think about that for a minute. See, that's what the Bible says, wherefore they worship the creature more than the creator. In other words, their priorities were changed. Therefore, what did God do when that happened? He gave them strong delusions. They believed a lie and became damned. Now, they desensitized themselves. They pushed God in the background, see. And they put other things in the foreground. And their priorities were all goofed up and mixed up. Now, let me show you something that, that uh, <clears throat> you're probably familiar with, but it is, a, it is really a strange thing, okay? We've got people here who are fairly new. Uh, on the very back pew back there is uh, Brother and Sister Dish. We just recently baptized. I remember the first service they came, see? And when they came, they just kind of sat there and looked. And then, you see, but what was happening was they were going toward revelation, toward the light, and the second service is so. I notice uh, Brother Dish lift his hands. And then uh, 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 they both lifted their hands. Then I noticed back there one night, Sister Bertha was clapping her hands. You know, praise God. Then you see, after about uh, <clears throat> a week or so of this, then you, you talk with them and, and you wonder how in the world could they, they learn in such a short period of time. We see, it's not really an educational process as much as it is them becoming sensitive to God. See, and the light begins to beam inside. How can a young man like Brother Charlie move up from Texas, not really knowing much about uh, the apostolic faith? Practically everything he has heard about the apostolic faith was derogatory. You know, they told him down in Texas that John and Darlene were a bunch of nuts, you know. They're speaking in tongues, not for us, it's of the devil. Now, how can he come up here then, and the second service or so, uh, he's lifting his hands, praising the Lord. And then somebody came up to me, right after he's baptized and everything, and they said, uh, are you sure that, uh, that uh, he hadn't been going to church someplace? Well, yes, he'd been going to church, but where he'd been going is far cry from this. Isn't that right, Brother John? Now, how in the world then can he learn so much in such a short period of time? It's because he becomes sensitive and the light begins to shine and revelation comes. See, he's got his priorities right now. See? Praise God. Praise God. And so he can sit on a pew and while somebody who has been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost some 20 years can clap their hands and rejoice. Here he is, just a few months old in the Lord. Well, he's sitting there and you couldn't tell an ounce of difference in him and the next man next to him. See? Why? His priorities are right. Praise God. And you see, that's what the Bible is saying. That's what the Bible says. Now, I know that some of you sit under the sound of my voice this morning that, that you're thinking, one of these days I will get my priorities right. In the book of Acts, there was a man by the name of Felix who had that problem. And when Paul stood before him, Paul says, now, he said, now, Felix, you need to make up your mind to serve the Lord. What did he say? He says, I will wait for a more convenient season. And you see, this is what happens. Because there's a God that wants to give us revelation, there is a devil that wants to obscure the light from us. What happens? The devil then comes and says, It's all right to serve God, but why don't you wait? It's all right to trust the Lord, but why don't you wait? The prophet spoke of the threefold cord. He said it's not easily broken. Now, while what he said may have meant entirely different from what I am about to talk to you about, is totally irrelevant. Let's talk about the threefold cord just for a minute. Okay? If you take a single thread, you can take and break that thread apart. But you see, you take a number of those threads and you can't do it. And you see, that is exactly the way the devil likes to bind people. See, he doesn't just go out and just throw a great big noose around their neck and hang them. Is that the way he does? No. He comes with one little thing at a time. And he wraps you up. <clears throat> now, 
when he puts that one cord around you, it's necessary for you to somehow come to yourself and burst that thing. Get it out of the way. You put a, a, a thread around an individual, he could snap that thread and you could, you could go all day long and snap threads without tiring. But you let him wrap you with one and another 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 and another. And after a while, he's got you so wrapped up that, hmm, I don't think I can get out of this. See, that's the way the devil works. That's exactly the way the devil works. And you see, that's what procrastination is all about. The longer you put off something, the harder it is to do it. And, and the longer you put it off, the, the more you are convinced that it's not important. Isn't that even true with chores around the house? You know, say, I've got to paint this wall. I, after a while you think, well, I've waited so long now, why even do it? You know, just let it go. Just let it go. Praise God. But do you know what? Jesus is coming. And whether you realize today that you need God or not, you do need Him. You really do. Now you can just think of all the things that God has blessed you with. And sometimes when God has blessed people with a lot of things, they forget. That's what happened to Israel after Joshua's day. They just forgot. And there are constant reminders in the Scripture. When God speaks to them, He says, I am the God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Why does He say that? So that those people don't forget that they need God. Praise God. You know, I know where the Lord brought me from. I know where he brought me from. I can still remember the hunger in my heart. Back in 1961, when I sat on a church pew and it was Sunday morning, and the preacher preached, I still remember the hunger in my heart. But I can remember the mess that I was in. I had a good job. I had a, a nice place to live. Had a lot of things going my way. But I was so mixed up and so confused. I didn't know what I wanted out of life. My priorities were so goofed up. And you know, the Bible speaks of the last days. Listen to me. In Daniel the 12th chapter verse 4. Daniel began to write about the last days. And, and the Lord spoke to him and says, And thou, O Daniel, seal the book and write no more. For men shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so Daniel sealed his book. And God would not allow Daniel to see or write beyond that particular point about the condition of the last days. Men shall do what? Run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. It seems like the more and more and more we learn of the things of the world, and the smarter we get, the more goofed up we are on our priorities. Ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth, the scripture says. And that's what he's talking about. One day you're over here, and another day you're over there, and you're over here, and you're over there, and you're over here, and you're over there. Our main concern in our country seems to be Super Bowls and things like that. You know, you, you read about all the floods down in, in California. And then the paper summarizes it like this. And the tragedy of all of this is that Super Bowl 16 might be a soup bowl. Well, that's, that's, that's just totally irrelevant. I mean, compared to the millions of dollars, homes washed out to sea. And we're concerned about whether the field's going to be dry. <laughs> that's right. And the Bible says in the book of Timothy when Paul wrote... He said they should be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I'm just so glad that, that I know the Lord. Praise God. And I've got God in my heart. 
Praise God. I'm glad I realized I need Him this morning. Praise God. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Let's lift our hands and just magnify our Lord. I love you, God. I worship you. I praise you, God. I appreciate you, God. Lord, you're so great. God, you're so wonderful. Lord, you're so mighty. God, you're so true. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Back in 1971, in a Sunday night service, there was a young man who came into our church. He sat near the back. He was surrounded by people worshiping the Lord. He brought with him three or four girls. He was alone with them, and his one boy and three or four girls. Some of the girls were clapping their hands, and they were enjoying the, the worship. John Copeland, he got up, and right in front of everybody, very abruptly, he said, these people are crazy. Let's get out of here. So they parted. One of the girls kind of lingered for a while and was clapping her hands, and I saw sadness in her eyes. One of our sisters reached over and started talking to her, and John came back in, got her by the arm, and said, let's go. John had filled out a visitor's card, not really knowing how the service would go, and turned that in. Otherwise, we probably would not have known where he lived. A week or so later, while I was going down the road, the Lord spoke to me to go see John. So I went to see John. I knocked on his door. I said, John, I said, the Lord sent me by to talk to you today. I said, I don't know why, but such a great burden came over me. He only opened the door about this wide. He looked out. He said, oh, you're that preacher. Man, you guys are crazy. I said, John, I said, have you ever read your Bible? He says, oh, Sunday school for little kids and old ladies. Oh. I was talking to him about coming to church on Sunday morning. No, he said, I haven't spent much time. I said, but uh, John, I just feel that I need to really talk to you. I tried my best to talk to him about the Lord. So I began to witness to him, tell him what the Lord could do. And I told him, I said, John, one of these days you're going you're gonna to need God and you're going to need the church. You know what he told me? He says, well, I know where you are. And when I need you, I'll call. I was on Saturday. I picked up the newspaper on Sunday morning before I went to church. Headlines of the newspaper. Young man slain on 3rd Street. And I read it. And some guy or some person they're not for sure for what reason, was crouched down behind a drive-in bank, uh, uh, you know, where you make deposits behind one of those stands with a hammer. And when John strolled along there that night with those girls, of whom, quite frankly, he was pimping for, somebody jumped out with a hammer and hit him in the head and killed him. I could hardly believe what I was reading. I told my wife that afternoon, I said, you know, this boy doesn't think he needs God. See, he was a healthy young man. But you see, that's the way the devil works because he wants to destroy everybody. He's not merciful. He's not kind. He's not good. He cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. That's what the scripture says in John 10.10. You see, whether John thought he needed God or not was irrelevant. He did need God. Yep, I know where you are, preacher. When I need God, I'll call on you. But you see, the revelation never came to him. He never realized 
how much you needed the Lord. Now you know the reason why I'm preaching the way I'm preaching this morning. Because when you sit in an atmosphere like this, at least for the duration of my message, you are forced to think of your need of God. And perhaps if you came here this morning not realizing you need Him, perhaps somehow God's light has driven a, a pinhole in your mind. And God's looking in with His light. And He's allowing you somehow to see your need. You need Him. On both sides of our pulpit here, there is a place to kneel and pray. Jesus said, except you repent. And that's what we're talking about. Kneeling, asking God to forgive you. Come to a recognition that God is supreme and put Him number one. He said, ye shall all likewise perish. Oh, that's not what God wants. He wants you to be saved. But do you want to be saved? You see, it's for whosoever will. You must want to. You must understand your need. So I'd like for every head to be bowed in this place this morning and every eye closed with no one, no one looking around. Before you come, how many of you would just lift your hand this morning and say, Brother Grant, I know I need God and I'm not saved. Would you pray for me? Lift your hand. All right, a number of hands are going up right now. God bless all of you. Do we see other hands? Several hands raised. You can put your hand down now. Do we see other hands? Brother Grant, I know I need the Lord. I want you to pray. I realize that my prayers can only do one thing. My prayers that I pray. I believe that I can actually force God to deal with you stronger. But the final decision is yours. So if you raise your hand, you would like to come and give your heart to God. Why don't you step right out where you are and just come and kneel. Praise God. And God bless these who are coming. Okay. Some of you come here and pray with this young man. Come and pray with Donna. Some of you men come and pray with Fred. Now, others want to come. Why don't you come on right now and give your heart to God? Would you do that? Okay, some of you come over here and pray with this. This gentleman right here has his children in our Sunday school. Come and pray with him. Would somebody else like to come? Come on. If God's dealing with you, it's not going to hurt you. This is the best thing that's ever happened. Why don't you come on right now? We're not trying to be overbearing. We just love you. We're not trying to force you. We just care. All right. We'd like for everybody to turn if they would kneel right in their pew. And after you pray, you may consider yourself dismissed. But God bless you for coming and being with us. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. And may our great God give you a good day.